Welcome to the seventh episode of the third season of HyperTalks. As always, thanks to Beppo Studios for letting us record here. I'm your host, Deborah Zonet, with me, my co-host, Jonathan Kivin. Hello. And our guest is none other than Mr. Goodvertising, Thomas Kolster. Hello, or hi, as we say in Danish. He's a thought leader, author, sustainability advocate, and marketing guru. Today's topic will be about sustainable marketing, what sustainable marketing is, and how you do it. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you. So today's check-in will be your favorite superhero. <laughs> I'll start. My check-in today, I'm feeling like a Captain America today. Righteous yet vulnerable. Ooh. Yeah. You've been thinking a lot about that. I just got thrown that question. So um, I can go, and then you have some. Yeah, go on, go on. I'll, I'll have a think about it. <laughs> um, so mine would be Spider-Man. He's funny and spontaneous, and I actually... Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. So oh let's not do that on then. But you do feel like Spider-Man. Yeah. You do feel like Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man, because he's spontaneous and funny. I think Donald Duck, because he's like the anti-hero and just that kind of random, not really superhero type of guy. Nice. He has a lot of friends, too. One rich friend, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so as we said before... You're known for being Mr. Goodvertising, and you even wrote a book about it. So do you want to tell us more about what inspired you to come this far? I love the introduction about sustainable marketing, because does that really exist? I mean, I think my path into to this whole thing was, I started on advertising when I was 21 years old. And I had no wish to go into advertising whatsoever. Both my parents were school teachers. Those are just super sensible people. I mean, whatever ad they look at, it's almost like there's always a phallus hidden somewhere. It's always sexist somehow, right? <laughs> yeah. So I remember when I was 21 years old and told my parents I was going into advertising, they're like, oh, God, no. Why didn't you take a university degree? Why didn't you do anything sensible with your life? And I think that kind of nagged me. And also, um, I, I think I went into it because I loved the writing. And I mean, remember, this was back in the 90s and, and advertising was fun. It was a lot of partying. The paycheck was good. So I think I got lured into advertising by that. But, but like 10 years into doing it, I felt, what the fuck am I doing? I mean, honestly, we're at a stage where our planet is fucked and we had COP15 in Copenhagen, the climate summit. All the elected government leaders were there. Obama was there. That was such a hype when, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize and all that stuff. And I thought the guys were going to sort it out. Nothing happened. Mm. So I think that was at least the thing that kind of sparked me to write the book, to say companies have been part of bringing us into all of this damn mess. And that way they can also sort it out. And that was kind of that thing that sparked me to write the book. And there was kind of two things in it. I mean, first of all, it's a very personal mission. And secondly, it was just a rallying cry to the industry. So let's, we can fucking do something about this. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Before we start our questions and discussion, do you want to explain what sustainable marketing means to our listeners? Wow, yeah. Um, As I said, I mean, I'm really going to challenge that way of putting it because it probably doesn't exist. I think my thing was how advertising has been and is 99.9% of the time is not something that I would say is necessarily beneficial for society. I mean, if we look at some of the messages that we put out there, The founder of Adbusters said that advertising is probably the biggest psychological experiment ever carried out between mankind. And he didn't mean that in a positive way. So we, we live in this very advertised society. 
And, and the thing that I wanted to challenge was, is it really okay that we tell young girls that are growing up that they're not cool if they don't have the latest handbag? Is it, is it cool that we fuel this consumerism? Is it cool that we tell guys that they're not cool if they don't drink the right type of beer and all that stuff? That was my initial kind of, fuck, this is wrong. So what I wanted to do was, as an obligation, like with anybody who works in the public space, it comes with an obligation and responsibility to put out messages that does good, that builds people. So that was the one beef I had. Secondly, what is so interesting about sustainability in general is that what we've seen with digital, and everybody's been obsessed with digital, like, yeah, always talk digital. You probably had a lot of people in this chair talking about digital. It's what it's yes. about. It's uh, <laughs> no. everybody talks about digital, right? Hyper Island, I guess, about digital. So yeah. for me, I'm like, yeah, fuck that transformation has been kind of disrupting our society. That whole revolution has been interesting, but we're just at the very threshold of seeing that same thing with sustainability. I think that is fascinating that we have eco-entrepreneurs, we have social entrepreneurs that completely rethink the way we think of food, how we dress, how we live. I mean, one example is just a village that's being built. It's uh, James Ehrlich out of Stanford University. He's building a village called Regen Villages. It's a 100% self-sufficient village. Creates all its energy, creates all its food. And if you think about the disruption, if you're an energy company, if you are in the construction business, if you're in the food business, that is just transformative technology. So people don't take that seriously. So I often talk about how companies need to pivot into being sustainable companies like we've seen the adoption into technology and and digital. But I want to sell more, not less, as a company, right? Yes. So how do you get me to? To do that. Yeah. At first glance, it might seem that those two are contradictory. But I think we look at that whole transaction in a very simplistic manner. So let me give an example. Philips used to sell light bulbs. Today, they sell light as a service. Take BMW. I don't know if you have, do you have the Drynar program here in Stockholm? These electric vehicles that that place the public transit points that you can open with your iPhone and stuff. Okay, you might not have it. So, So that was really part of BMW's grander scheme of things saying, we don't sell cars anymore. We get people from A to B, so we are a mobility company. So the whole fact of, of how you sell goods and services is changing. And those who, who are stuck in that kind of old, you know, industrialized kind of Ford model, we've got to push out products in the same way we've done always, they're fucked. Because there's so many people who are reinventing business models that are reinventing ways of doing things. Look at the Airbnb and the growth of that. Yeah. Um, it's just a different way of thinking collaborative consumption and stuff. And we've just seen the very early days of that. Do you think companies are doing this because they want to? Or do you think people are asking for this? I think change is a two-way street. I think it's super lazy. People are just sitting back and saying, oh, the, the companies are going to sort this out. I, I don't believe in that. I think we we got to be conscious about how we vote with our wallet and the companies that we support. That said, I mean, the companies that I have seen in this space do tremendous stuff has not been because you know, regulation or things like that. It's because they had a founder or somebody else working inside the company who saw this as something truly fascinating. Okay. I think it's probably been the same with digital, right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you've had some nerds sitting around and saying, couldn't it be cool to do this or that? And and then change happened. So I sometimes say that a lot of good innovations comes from hate. 
things <laughs> that you're annoyed about, something that you want to change. I think it comes with the same thing that you have people who who just look at our society and say there's something wrong. One of them, I mean, there's a microbiologist called Erin Smith. One of the things she did was she looked at the wedding dress and said, you know, fuck, I'm only going to wear this dress once. I can't get my head around that. How wasteful is that? So she set out to grow her own wedding dress out of household waste using mushrooms. Oh, wow. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so just the way we look at a lot of these things, like, as I said, food and energy and things like that, it's just changing and it's it's a fascinating time. Do you think companies say they're sustainable as a buzzword? I mean, sustainability has definitely become a buzzword. It just seems like sustainability is there, just okay. everywhere. And, and and by the end of the day, what does that word really mean? It's almost like it's hurting the movement because it's such an umbrella type of word that covers so many things, social aspects, environmental aspects, economic aspects. So I think what is interesting from an advertising marketing perspective has been this pivot into a lot of agencies today talking about purpose. You've got to have a purposeful brand. You've got, right. to, you've got to be more than just plucking product. You've got to have this almost scenic type why. You know, why am I in business, you know? Right. And I think sometimes they are kind of really just missing the point. I think if, if you embrace this, it's about change and it's about impact. And way too rarely we in our industry have a discussion about impact. So we measure our why, return of fucking investment, <laughs> but we don't measure the actual change. So when I judge campaigns, and I judge quite a bit of those every year, I always look at what has changed. I mean, if we haven't saved lives, if we haven't saved carbon emissions, we're not fucking doing anything. Right. Then yeah. it's just the usual marketing gimmicks. And that, honestly, most of the time makes... Uh, of course, it's important to change mindsets. But um, impact is really, you know, the the frontier of where we should look as uh, advertising creatives. So do you still work with advertising? And if so, do you have companies that you cut your ties with? Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. They're not aligned with my why. We do work with fortunate plethora of different brands around the world and, and actually also sometimes agencies to advise them in, in terms of kind of pivoting towards the space and understanding this space. I think I've always been kind of a value-driven guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is probably more about kind of how you want to live your life. If you want to get up in the morning and you want to be happy, you want to work with people that makes you happy right. and that adds to, uh, to your energy. You know, when you work with a crap brand, it's almost like you also feel that, yeah. fuck, that's crap people. I mean, there's very few industries that I don't feel comfortable about working with because my mentor is really about giving everybody a chance to improve. So I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, that said, fuck, I hate tobacco. Yeah. I just hate it. You sell a product that kills people. I know alcohol kills people as well, just like the red wine. That's a shame, but but that's just, just an untruth. I can agree with uh, tobacco, but not the wine no. and the beer. Okay, but going back to the advertising part, yeah. we were taking a look at your blog, and we came out with this headline. Is there a right kind of fear in advertising? And we start discussing about it. What's better to do on advertising in that sense? Something funny, something to generate impact, or how would you defend a social cause? I think why we in advertising is, is facing quite a backlash these days is simply just the fact that we don't fucking get down to the point and realize that people hold the power. They are the biggest content producers today. The only thing that, that we seem to be doing are just these funny, entertaining ads. And today, this entertainment 
everywhere. Mm. I mean, even even entertainment, even a media company have difficulties surviving on the business model of entertainment. And then we come out as creatives and think, oh, we, we're more funny than, than Seinfeld. I mean, <laughs> nope, we're not. We sometimes get it right, but... I think it's about saying we have an opportunity to redefine our industry and to put meaning into our industry again. And I think there's an, a massive opportunity in saying, so how can marketing and advertising add to people's lives? And I think that is truly fascinating. I mean, when you see campaigns that does add to society, you know, look, look at um, P&G, they're always like a girl campaign. So early on, all that company did was pretty basically talking down to women. I mean, buy, buy this hygiene pad and it has sucking power like a hurricane. Or buy this hygiene pad and you can dance all night long because it's got these beautiful wings, right? Yeah. And the, the pivot they made was suddenly talking about this vulnerable time where you're a girl, 12, 13, 14. The fears, the thing about being a girl and what a girl can do and how the stereotypes around a young girl. Yeah. I think doing a campaign around that is mind food. Yeah, it makes definitely. you think. It doesn't dumb you down. And secondly, what's amazing is that it does work in this new media space where it's about creating conversations. Yeah. Because I, I haven't so far <laughs> seen a tweet or Facebook update from any girl that says, you've got to wear always because the sucking power is just fucking <laughs> No, I, yeah, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. No, exactly. No. Yeah. But you can get girls to talk about how dumb and unfair that we men sometimes treat women. Yeah, definitely. Following up on what we're talking about, is there a field of business that is in the forefront than other fields? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's almost like some of the early adopters, when I look back at the book from 2012, was some of those who were facing early criticism. Of course, some of the car companies had lots of issues in the beginning and, and had lots of regulation coming into that space. One of the industries that are important is kind of how the financial industry is pivoting. Because these days, there are more and more investment companies that look at some of these sustainability metrics in terms of evaluating what you're going to put your money in. Yeah. And, and it really kind of makes sense. I mean, look at Coca-Cola. Their business model has basically been selling sugary drinks, high-calorie drinks to yeah. people. But people don't drink in our part of the world, as many high-calorie drinks as they used to because people want to live a more healthy life. So that's not a very good business model in the, in the long term. So how are they going to transform their portfolio? If you're an investor, you, you get a little bit nervous. Yeah. You look at them and you say, yeah. maybe you're going to diversify. Maybe you're going to do something about it. Or if you look at a car brand and you're like, people are moving into cities. We can't squeeze more cars into the city. Have you as a car brand thought about that? So a lot of the stuff we talk about actually comes as a pressure from investors, from the people who move trillions of dollars around in the marketplace. And that's interesting. And they also talk about things like diversity. They talk about things like gun control. And they become much more outspoken in terms of the types of companies that they want to invest in. And I think that is a really, really fascinating change if we talk about industries. Because when the, the big guys pushing around the money starts to change, then that's going to kind of drizzle down and, and hopefully make a huge impact in terms of what, what we see and, and what we can buy. So we study data strategy. And one of our biggest learnings at Hyper is how to transform an organization into data-driven. So since you're a consultant, maybe you could tell us examples of industries that you try to implement a more sustainable thought or strategy and the barriers you face. Yeah, I think, I mean, change, no matter how you want to get people to change, it's, it's, uh, it's damn hard. Mm. <laughs> I <Yes>. mean, <laughs> it's difficult. And I think by the end of the day, an organization is just a thousand people moving 
hopefully towards the same goal, not always. So one thing I always advise organizations to do is don't rush into marketing and advertising. Make sure that your organization is aligned. Make sure that you get your people internally on board and outline a course forward because I think too often we've just put out our advertising campaigns and that was fine back then. What's so fascinating about change, though, is that change doesn't necessarily need to start at the CEO level. Yeah. I mean, change can come from everybody at any time. And I think that is just super fascinating. That's also sometimes when I talk to students and schools and universities, the first thing I say is if you have a creative director that doesn't get that, fuck it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, you're a creative person. You've got to risk your neck. Because if you don't risk your neck and risk your career and on your ideas, you're not going to go very far. Advertising and being a creative person is about risk. That is uh, an obligation, a responsibility that some creatives are good at, at managing and others aren't. So you've got to be a, a, a fuck that type. So is there a good way for me to do that? Let's say I'm at a company, I, I see a huge potential for change and I walk into the boss's office and I say, hey, we've got to do this. Or how do I approach? Yeah, I think, you know, no more than your boss. You know, <laughs> if you come in there and you're more prepared, And I'll tell you, this is, you know, unfortunately the honest truth, but there's a lot of old dinosaurs in this business that yeah. haven't seen the, the winds of change. And so if you come in there and you have your arguments in place, I'm sure you can hopefully just rattle the boat a little bit. Have you done that always or did you gain this confidence at one point that you realized like, okay, this is the time for me to... Because uh, I feel like when yeah. you're starting, it's just you're so scared to you know, take that step. I mean, of course you're scared. You know, if you're not scared, there's no risk, right? I think I've always been like a guy that uh, feels more comfortable when I'm not part of the status quo. I actually like to be kind of the, the one that provokes and, and doesn't fit in. Uh, so I, I think that's been kind of part of my upbringing. I mean, I was not allowed to sit in front of the TV and eat. You know, the dinner table, it was a place you discussed and, and, and you shared standpoints and values and things like that. And I think that is so important as a society. I think, unfortunately, the backside of all this social media shit has been that we too often are too similar people. And most of the advertising campaigns I see preach to the already converted. Yeah. So I think that's a real challenge. And it also begins with ourselves that we feel uncomfortable when we are not among not like-minded people. And advertising people are unfortunately uh, very similar. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's a shame. We've got to invite difference inside the agencies. If we want to create different types of campaigns and we want to push marketing forward, we, we need different people. I think American politics are quite interesting at the moment, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to say the least. And it's really reflective on our societies uh, in general, what's happening. And one of the things I force myself to do every morning is I get up, I read CNN, I read BBC, I read Fox News, and I read Huffington Post. So I read the right wing and I read the left wing. And then when I have those perspectives and I read mainstream, when I have those perspectives, I can manage that space. And I can understand that the world is not black and white. It's it's in the grays that there's something fascinating to, to find. And I think that is super important as a creative person to be curious, to challenge, and probably to spend a bit of time with not so like-minded people. Yeah, that's true. So you traveled the world a lot, and now you're talking about being creative. Do you think that helps you open your mind? I mean, I, I, I love traveling. I think I've done that uh, since I was a very young kid. 
trial is important because it, it exposes you to differences. It exposes you to different cultures. And, and I love that because creativity is about that clash of cultures. So we've got to be very aware as an industry to, to provoke ourselves to do that. I mean, I remember one of the saddest things I've seen in, in a while was um, just after Obama was in, um, in Myanmar, was there for a, a uh, conference that I think Ogilvy organized or something like that. And then the markets just kind of opened up under this military rule. I think the month I was there was the first time that the prices of a SIM card had gone so dramatically down because before it cost like 200 US dollars. So it's only like high ranking officials and oh military people who could afford that. So a lot of things were changing and suddenly you were seeing advertising and posters and shit like that out. There, the men traditionally have always worn a, can't remember the word, which just annoys me, but kind of like a traditional dress, like a beautiful, beautiful dress. And suddenly I saw this advertisement on a billboard where the guy was dressed in jeans and a T-shirt and playing a guitar and it was for some probably local soft drink of sorts and it's talked about welcome to the future. I think that kind of cultural imperialism, I, I, I absolutely just hate that because there's no reason whatsoever that we as marketeers do that sort of stuff. If we took our responsibility seriously, we would respect. Yeah, definitely. We so would respect keep, keep the traditional garb, not go for the Western look. Or... Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or whatever it is. I mean, wherever you operate, you know, you've got you to gotta have some sensibility. And, and I mean, on the other side of that coin, we had... IKEA, who removed women out of their catalogs in Saudi Arabia to fit wow. into that culture. Yeah. So that's maybe the bad side of that. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, of course it's difficult in those places where, where you don't have a free press. And I think that is probably the thing that we've we got to be free, to, you know, that freedom comes with a responsibility. And I think, uh, you know, people who work at advertising, we, we just need to be a little bit more uh, sensible and careful right. when we do things like that. Yeah, I can I can understand sometimes some companies, they just import the advertising to Brazil and we're such a multicultural, we're so different from each other and it's just like white girls representing the whole Brazil, which doesn't make sense at all. So. Exactly, and the implications of that, the yeah. implications of being exposed to that or in a way almost showcasing white people and white culture as something that you should look up to because advertising is often about creating aspirations. Right. So you've seen there's lots of scandals recently around, I think it was one of the Unilever's products where it was a cream. I think it was Dove who oh. did like a, a a cream that would make you white or something like that. In some countries in Asia, there's this aspiration towards being white and not having your beautiful uh, almond-shaped eyes, but having more of uh, our dumb round blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that is important. And I think it's an important conversation to have in advertising because there's no reason whatsoever that that is uh, the standard. So I often talk about indirect consequences of advertising if we talk about our environment. If you are a shampoo brand and you have an ad word, why are you showing a young girl driving a cabriolet? Why are you endorsing car culture? Why can't she be bicycling? Why can't she be driving an electric vehicle? You know, because right. that indirect impact strengthens or endorses certain elements or traits in our culture. Right. Got to be aware of that. That's actually a really good point, how they're actually promoting things that they don't even need to promote, so driving cars or... Well, probably one of the most clear examples, if you look back at Greece or something like that, if you went into like a, a diner, you'd dine in an American Cadillac. Yeah. Because that was cool. Cars were cool. The car culture was cool. 
today, suddenly the bicycle is something you'd see exhibited, almost be hanging on the wall in oh, a yeah. hotel lobby yeah. or at a, at a cafe. And that shows the change. And we as, as communicators, we've got to be much more aware of those cultural influences. One of the things I always say is, I don't have kids. Do you have kids? No. It's a kidless, no. kidless room. <laughs> kidless room. It's, yeah. a, kid, it's kidless a kidless room. room. Anyway... Don't take advice from a guy who doesn't have kids, but and I'm going to talk about kids. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Anyway, I think if people imagined they were creating communication to their son or daughter, I think they would take this a hell of a lot more serious. Because would this stuff be the stuff you would like your son or daughter to see? I see looking at the future two very different ways, people going completely sustainable. But at the same time, consumption has been so easy. We have fast fashion we have so many apps promoting promotions and how do you see the future which way are we going more i think we to be honest entering a period of a different type of consumption in a way uh okay. let, let me explain this but so when i was 14 my biggest wish was a boombox oh. you know one of, you know, one of those cd player two cassette yeah. tapes you know that'd be make me the coolest kids in school yeah. sensible parents school teachers right so it took a lot of nagging to get it i finally got it so um this year my brother's oldest daughter turned 14 and her biggest wish was jumping out of a parachute from a plane oh wow brave, brave. Huh? very cool yeah. talk about superheroes and stuff that is the superhero move right yes but The thing that does show is the pivot, because when I grew up, it was the beginning of, you know, hyper consumerism, right? And young kids today just have too much stuff. There's too much stuff. People don't fucking care about it anymore. So I think we today look at self-realization, self-exploration. You know, we want to improve our minds, want to learn new stuff. I think that matters way more today than just buying things and i think that's an interesting pivot and it's an interesting pivot towards what we today see as a good life i don't see a good life as the one that's being advertised most of the time being stuck in a villa in a suburb somewhere <laughs> with a car two kids and a, and a dog that's not my dream that's not my definition of 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 a, of a good life and i think that's what's interesting is what is a good life And because ultimately what advertising is selling and what brands kind of trying to get us to to do is aspire towards something and enable us to something. So, so I think that is probably the biggest shift that I'm seeing when it comes to consumers and consumer mindsets is that we don't give a fuck about products. The uh, American dream is over. It's fucking <laughs> over. And I'm so happy about it. I can agree with that. No. <laughs> yeah, so many companies focusing more on experience. Exactly, and I think, sense. you know, I mean, the, I think the experience kind of economy was very much about probably us just having too much stuff and the only way we now could spend money was in experiences. Yeah. Where we invest now is in our bodies and in our minds and in our communities and in our, you know, friends. And, and, and in a way, that is maybe the truest form of what we humans are about. I mean, the good old Maslow guy who talked about kind of basic needs like food and sex and shit – But the very top of that was creativity and self-realization. Right. And I think our societies have progressed so much right now. But, I mean, the, the big challenge is, of course, we've got six billion people right now, very soon eight billion people who are less fortunate, who unfortunately have uh, been given the same bad fucking prescription, just buy more shit. Yeah. That's going to make you happy. And and that is a train that's driving recklessly towards the end of the very cliff. 
uh, the fall of this. And I'm thinking too, like as Western countries have have done this already, bought a lot of shit. Now we're saying, hey, maybe tone it down a little bit. Yeah. And to the to the <laughs> countries that just got there, we're saying maybe don't buy as much. Yeah. We already did that. Didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. In Brazil, we're still okay. Let's buy everything. It's such different mentalities, and it's exactly what you said. I think you've been over it in third world countries are still trying to figure out what to do with the money that they're starting to have. Yeah, but I'm thinking, like, it's like the Western... I'm doing everybody, like, in a big, big clump of people <laughs> here, but, like, Western countries sitting on their high horse saying, you should do this and that. Isn't yeah. that a little hypocritical? You know, I think you tap into something interesting in the sense that, I mean, look at the climate summits and you had developing economies saying, but hey, wait, you guys are fucking polluting the hell out of our planet. And now you tell us to decarbonize and stuff like that. Why should we listen? Right. I mean, yeah. so it's a fair point. The thing is just, I mean, we can discuss as much as we want, but it's almost like that that glass of water is overflowing. So, right. you know, so we got to do something about it. I think one thing that makes me super happy, though, is that I almost see like a, 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 a movement happening among young people across the world who are getting this, yeah. whether you're in Asia, whether you're in Africa. So I actually do see that, and I hope that that young generation, because we have one generation to fucking solve this stuff, are the ones that are going to say, let's screw it, let's do something else. got to be an optimist as a creative, but yeah. I, I'm an optimist in the sense that I think that if we empower the youth if we use our voice to speak up for some of these things, fuck, we can change it. Right. Of course we can change it. I'm so. getting inspired. Yeah, me too. <laughs> We're in the future. I know that we are the generation that will be able to change these things, and it's pretty awesome to think ahead the things that we can do. But nowadays, do you think it's more the government responsibility to make sure that the countries are being regulated, or is it now the companies' responsibility to what their footprint actually is? What's your perspective of this? When I wrote Good Advertising, I think my main message was companies, you have great power and with great power comes great responsibility. Today, companies are representing bigger economies than our governments globally. So I think back then my thinking was companies got to change. And today still there's an expectation around the globe from people that, I mean, the numbers are between 70 and 85, 87% of people who believe companies should be part of the solution and expect them to do that. With my thinking right now, I'm like, fuck it. It's it's about people. It's about you and me. I mean, we shouldn't be just, ex you know, excusing ourselves and saying, no, let's, let's governments fix it, let's companies fix it. We've got to be the ones who are change agents in our own lives and begin to face the music ourselves because right. everything you do, every little product you support is a support of that philosophy, that regime, yeah. that system. And if we want to pivot that stuff, We are the ones that are going to do that. So that's our responsibility as citizens. I think our responsibility as marketing professionals is definitely to talk to some of these companies about why this is good business, okay. why you right now are betting on the wrong horse. Because mm. sustainability is not going to go away. You're going, yeah. to be, you're going to be facing the music no matter what. The earlier you do it, the better and the better business it is for you. So you've got to, you've got to use your voice as well to, to have some of these uncomfortable discussions, whether it's going up to your boss or your creative director and, and, and pinpointing some of the stuff or it's, it's, it's some of the brands you work with. I was wondering if like companies are trying to find ways to prove that they are 
responsible and that they take care of sustainability. And do you think that they're just doing this for a trend? Do you think it's going to go further on trying to prove like the whole transparency and footprint? I think you're touching on something important. You know, if you go down to your kind of regular Starbucks or for that sake, any coffee company today or in the supermarkets, there's labels on everything. Yeah. And and I think that is traditionally has been a way for companies to try and empower people to choose the products that they like or don't like. That said, though, the challenge is just like a lot of those labels, people don't fucking know what they stand for. So it's super complicated. And by the end of the day, I think people buy the brand. That is the thing that you trust. So the most important thing, I believe, is to build a brand that people trust, that is fairer and more environmentally friendly, more socially conscious and all that stuff. And that is definitely doable. I'm not a big fan of labeling. I'm a big fan of empowering people. I think one of the only labels that actually have worked is probably the energy label that we have in the EU now. I think that does way work and has shifted people's mindsets. So when they go out and they look at a fridge, they might think, okay, I'm not going to buy a D fridge that's going to mm. cost me more, that's going to be... So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult territory. And I think it's really, by the end of the day, and, and I think that is a big reason why advertising is there. Advertising is about choice and giving people choice. Unfortunately, right now, there's two different ways this is going. Unfortunately, the invention of the internet, which was a massive opportunity to give people unlimited choices, has now, in my opinion, just turned into one big fucking supermarket. I mean, if you don't have money, you're not going to be on any of the first two to three pages. So people are not going to find you. That's not a choice. At least not a fair choice. Secondly, I mean, you still have a situation where conventional distribution channels most of the time are owned by big companies. So what I would like to challenge is that there are so many alternatives to the products that we use in our daily lives today. And I would love if people had more of those choices Hmm. presented to them because, for example, the thing with H&M and the stuff they're doing in terms of taking back the clothing and not just their own clothing but from whatever company is at least showing that here's a company that want to do something. So it's really kind of navigating that space and, and, and trying to look for options where you think you are given more choice and choices that correspond with the values. Mm. Yeah. So what's a tip for us consumers to actually how do we make the right choice? How do we know that the company is actually sustainable and not just saying that they are? We have a massive power today that I think companies on a, on a daily basis are facing. I don't think I 15 years ago could have thought that a girl tweeting could make a CEO of a company nervous. Right. Yeah. So I think we can do a lot. I mean, one of the things I do myself is if I'm curious or skeptical about something, I tweet that company. Do you have the juice smoother brand called Frosch? I think In, so. So the other day, I just said, you know, fine, you're doing your fruit farm stuff, but why aren't your juices fully organic? Right. I mean, you know, why should I fucking drink pesticides? Yeah. <laughs> right. Fresh, natural juice, including pesticides, so not a great deal. And and entering into that dialogue and, and questioning those companies, I think, is important. So I, I think we can do much more and we can rattle the power structures way more than we think. I don't think there's any excuse these days. I mean, look at just some of the things that are happening with the Me Too movement. The biggest thing that happened in communication that landed on the fucking Time magazine didn't even come from our industry. 
The mm. biggest effort, the most important campaign last year didn't come from our industry. And mm. I think that shows the pivot. It doesn't even, even have a leader. It doesn't have a manifest. But people gather around. There's something inherently wrong with a world that is just so male-dominated. So there's a lot of stuff happening these days that we should be super thankful for. Isn't right. it great? Yes. <laughs> it really is. It really is. We hyper talks. We were talking these days about in the back days. We used to say there's no such thing as bad marketing. Like no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. And we got into this discussion, and we didn't really know. What's your opinion? Do you think that nowadays it's the same feeling, or does it really exist a bad marketing? I think there's two things. I think one thing is awareness. You know, bad publicity creates awareness because yeah. everybody's talking about it. Look at Trump. He's a fucking awareness creating crazy guy. I mean, he just says crazy shit. <laughs> he gets awareness, and we're not critical. I mean, the media is not critical enough, so they just follow it because newspapers are sold. Now he said something crazy. We need to cover it. So again, I think it's about, of course, being a conscious citizen. Half the time, people don't take the time to actually read what is right or wrong. They yeah. just they read the headline, yeah. or they see it on Facebook, and then they they talk about it for like hours at dinner company come out with conspiracy theories and stuff so it comes with responsibility some of this stuff i mean it's still early days where we are both consumers and producers of content right. all of us yeah. through our social media channels and stuff like that i mean i often joke that my brother's oldest daughter clara that she is she's probably better than most social media campaign managers that i know i mean her instagram account looks fucking brilliant with her like <laughs> food pictures and stuff she's like highly curated content up there so we've got to get used to this consumer producer role and not be fucking lazy half yeah. the time why why nothing is happening is because we're fucking lazy i mean look at it You know, we invented the big black SUV to drive down to Starbucks, pick up our coffee. We just got damn lazy. And because we're so lazy, we get into all of this shit. So if we weren't as lazy, we wouldn't have to deal with whatever people want to call it. Fake news or not being critical. Or again, we've got to, we've got to point the finger at ourselves and say democracy comes with responsibility. Being a citizen comes with responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when we're not responsible... Um, when we're not educated, when we don't take the time to uh, to uh, to do this stuff, uh, we end up in uh, Brexit and Trump uh, situations. Okay, this was so interesting, <laughs> but we're running out of time. Yeah. So we do a checkout, like we did the check-in, and our checkout question after all this conversation was so inspiring. What is something that you do on your daily life to support sustainability? Well, um, hopefully sitting here talking to you guys and hopefully getting you a little bit excited about what's going to be changing our society. And the most interesting thing is not digital. It is sustainability. So hopefully that. Nice. Mine actually for Hyper, we did a project that we supported not washing your jeans. Oh, cool. So we did a campaign on Skip Your Jeans and I haven't washed my jeans in six months. Way. Nice. Yes. I kind of do the same thing. I mean, I, I always wear black jeans. That is no surprise when you work in advertising because most <laughs> advertising people are dressed in black. And yes, I'm dressed in black today. I can't see that, but I'm telling you. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I wash my jeans very, very rarely. And here's a good thing because, again, it's about being smart about the messages. What are the messages you put out there? Are you going to say save the planet? No. If you want to keep our planet and your jeans prettier for longer, don't wash them so often. Right. It's that yeah. simple. Sold it. And uh, I recycle. 
Your, your jokes or your what do you well, yes <laughs> yes my that's why this is hasn't been that fun unfortunately oh. yeah all old jokes <laughs> uh, like uh, household materials and stuff I try yeah. to be really careful with the plastic and compost and so forth that's good you know every change has a beginning and I think that's a, an amazing uh, place to start so well cool yeah thank you so much thank you for coming well, thank you And once again, thank you Beppo Studios for letting us record here. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.